Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. Okay, that's it, that's it, that's it. You don't, you don't want a Pakistani dancing. When you think of oikos, what do you think of? <laughs> I know, I know, yogurt. Okay, before it was a yogurt, it's a Greek word. It actually means household, like family. You see, when we talk about some good news, when we talk about all the good things that we as a church are doing, it's not just what we're doing, it's also how we are doing it. Uh, Mosaic, how are y'all? Good? Good, 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 good. Listen, I had, I had some real um, excitements when I first saw that video, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to come out here in a Bollywood dance, just like Pastor Naeem. And then I thought, you know, Scripture says that God gives spiritual gifts to some people and not to others. So I'm going to let Pastor Naeem keep up with the Bollywood dance, and I'm going to save you all from uh, any pain visually that you would have to endure. Um, I am so excited to be here with you all. And when uh, Pastor Naeem asked me to share uh, on uh, this continued series on the church, I just thought, wow, what a timely message. What what a timely topic. Uh, How important is it uh, in the season and the culture and the time and place in history uh, that we live in to, to maybe reorient and bring some realignment to our understanding of God's heart and vision for what the church is. Uh, but before I get into the text, and we're going to be almost exclusively in Acts chapter 2, so if y'all have your Bibles, you want to flip there, you can. I, I want to start with a confession. Y'all, I have never, ever, ever done this, ever. But, you know, like Kristen said, this is family for me, and I just feel like, you know, I am just going to um, just take that seriously, you know? And so my wife is here, and my kids are here, and there had been this rumor going around at my workplace. I work at Proverbs 31 Ministries. I serve as uh, Director of Theology. I work with our friend Lisa Turkhurst, and we have these things called Theology Study Days, and there was this rumor about me going around that after our Theology Study Days, um, instead of going straight home to, you know, have dinner, that I stopped at this magical place that has golden arches. I was very disappointed in the rumors. I was like, how could you all think that me, (laughs) that I would be stopping at a, like, do you not know that the scriptures say that the body is the temple of the Lord most high? And I, you know, and then I had this frustrating moment that happened actually this morning as I was getting ready to come out here. You see, the thing that you probably should never do before you get ready to go out and, and preach and teach the Bible in the morning is to step on the scale. I stepped on the scale, and you know what I realized? The rumors are true. (laughs) 
<laughs> the rumors are true. But here's the problem. Like, like, like normally what should happen is I should be like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the gym three times a week. I'm going to uh, cut carbs out of my life completely, like I've said for, you know, the last 10 years of my life. Uh, like, I, I've got all these things. But you know what I did instead? I started to think about Thanksgiving. <laughs> Like Thanksgiving, I don't like Thanksgiving, and and I started to think about Christmas, and 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 most people will be thinking about like Christmas and thinking about the trees, but I think about uh, lamb biryani <laughs> at Christmas time. If you don't know what lamb biryani is, I just want to let you know it is uh, like the baked rice with the most glorious herbs and lamb infused at the very bottom that is just absolutely spectacular. On a scale of one to a thousand on carbs, it's a thousand. Okay, but on a scale of one to infinity on pleasure, it is infinity, all right? It is so good. Um, but then I got to, to really thinking about those holidays. Uh, let's pause and think about Thanksgiving. Uh, when I say Thanksgiving, what are the most, I don't know, exciting uh, foods that you look forward to? Oh my gosh, there we go. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> But I'm going to believe that that is worth it, okay? Yeah, and, and, and I, we got some no's. No, but it's okay. We can have unity and diversity, all right? I, I think about like green beans and, and turkey and mashed potatoes and, and all these things. And, and I have a very early childhood memory. My mom always, uh, for Thanksgiving, she made this uh, roasted lemon pepper turkey. It was like her thing that she did every year. One year she decided that she was not going to be able to be with us for Thanksgiving. She does medical missions in India, and so uh, she had gone to India, but she was like, don't worry. This was before the days of like video and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. She hand wrote the instructions on how to make the lemon pepper turkey, and my uncle was responsible for it, and so it was a big family gathering, and we all get together, and all of my cousins and aunts and uncles are, are all together, and here's the irony of it. We can smell the lemon pepper. So we're deceived into thinking just because it smells the right way, it's going to also taste the right way. The lemon pepper comes out and you have it in case and you open it up and still you think, huh, all of this seems like similar. And then at the end of it, when we cut into it and we start to eat it, everybody was silent. The silence wasn't because we were overwhelmed with how good it was. The silence is because we thought that we were eating sand. It was so dry. And instead of having the beautiful lemon pepper, like, you know, just permeate through the entire meat, you would every randomly in a bite just get a blast of lemon pepper in your face. It's one of our favorite stories to tell at Thanksgiving. It's also the reason why we've made a family mandate that my mom is never allowed to leave on Thanksgiving ever again. But, but I have a, a question, and I have a thought, and I have a fear. And here's what it is. I fear that as a people, we've been so consumed by the turkey and the ham and the deep-fried or oven-roasted chicken, the mashed potatoes, the green beans, the variety of pies that all y'all people are getting all the time, that we've lost the tragedy of what it would be to have all of that and not have the people at the table. What good is the spread of food in a massive table if all of the chairs are empty? 
Well, what good is it to have that memory of, of like total just disgust with an oven-roasted lemon pepper turkey if I couldn't laugh about it with the rest of my family for years and years later? And so I'm supposed to kind of talk this morning about what it means to be the church, but I have a strong suspicion that before we can get to what it means to be the church, we first need to understand what the church actually is. So what is the church? The church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia with me. One, two, three. Y'all are Greek scholars. Excellent. And here's what's really interesting. Ekklesia, this Greek word, it, it's always used in the, in the Greco-Roman context amongst the Greeks and the Romans always to describe an assembly of people. It's exclusively used to describe the gathering of people. And so the very first, I want to give us just three distinctives of what the, what the church actually is, all right? And here's the very first one. The church is about the people who gather in a place, not the place where the people gather. This is going to feel a little shocking. Because this morning, my wife texted me and said, hey, can you send me the address to the church? And I was like, I'm driving. I don't know how to do this. Oh, yeah, Siri. Siri helps me with everything. You see, and so I sent the address to this church, but is that where the church is? Would this still be the church if no one was here gathered both physically and online? You see what I'm saying? Like, we're caught in a little bit of attention. How can the church be the church without the people? And before we think that this is a unique new thing for you and I that we're just trying to philosophically figure out today, I want to assure you that this was an ancient problem that has been discussed and processed through for the ages. I want to do a little bit of a thought experiment with you, but I want to start with some images. Uh, we've got some images of some ancient ruins and so I don't know where they're going to show up. They're going to show up on the screen over here. And today, we call these places um, churches. We call them ancient ruins. And the very first image, when it pops up, is going to be, there we go. Does anybody, does this, for anybody, does this scream out, yes, that's mosaic. <laughs> North Mac. North Mac. <laughs> right. Uh, you know what this place is? This is the view of the rubbles of an interior of a church called St. Anna. Interesting, it's named after a woman. Ancient church named after a woman. Just a thought. Like, like we call this a church. Okay, next picture. This is actually a church in the Byzantine period on a mountain. The mountain is called Berenice. Here's what's so interesting about this church. There was a massive earthquake uh, around 749 B.C. that leveled the entire church to rubble, to ruins. And so what archaeologists have tried to do is reconstruct it, and the closest that they can, can get to the original is right here. And so this is an ancient Byzantine church. The next one is a church in the southwest of Israel. 
And we can see a little bit more of the makings. And the last one are the foundations of an ancient church in Mesopotamia. You see, I think it's really intriguing that these places are still called the church. And why is it, almost 2,000 years later, we're sitting in a room talking about those churches? You see, the people who gathered inside of those tiny churches were the first fruits of a people who witnessed, who experienced, who heard of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And here is what is absolutely insane. That while those churches lay in ruin, the people of God have multiplied in an innumerable way. Gone from one stretch of plot of land in Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and what? And to the ends of the world. You see, one of the great dangers, I think, that we can begin to believe about the church is that the church is only present when there's a building or a structure. Everything that we know about what the church is is actually antithetical to that. The church is about the people. And it's the people who bear witness and image of the risen King Jesus that bring meaning to what the church is. But if the church is about the people, then I've got a question. Who are these people? Right? Okay, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. This is the very first time that we have a picture or an image of the church. This is after Jesus has died and after he has resurrected and gone into the ascension, gone into the heavens. And he had made a promise to his disciples. And he had said, listen, y'all, just wait. Power from on high is about to come on y'all. I have no idea what the people thought when Jesus said that. I would be panicking like, Jesus, it's cool. Can you stay here? Stop the lifting. <laughs> stay. He's like, no, no, no. It's really important, really important that I leave so that the helper, the paraclete, the power of the Holy Spirit might come and invade your hearts. And so in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5, this is what it says. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem. Catch this, important details in the text. Devout people from every nation under heaven. Every American under heaven. Every Italian under heaven. Every Indian under heaven. Every Israeli under heaven. I, mean, I could go on and on, but that's the end of my geography. No, 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 no. Every nation. It's a Greek word, ethnos, which means exactly that. Every ethnicity under heaven. When the sound occurred and, and a crowd came together and was confused. Why were they confused? Good news, the text tells us. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Uh, so I'm Indian. I don't know. Y'all knew that? Good. Good. I think that's an established fact here at Mosaic. I'm Indian, 
And um, my family speaks a dialect of, um, of our language called Telugu. The national language is Hindi. Um, you see, the, the image of what would be taking place is, if I were to walk into a setting with a whole bunch of Indian people, and they all knew, actually I was at a comedy show the other night with a guy named Hassan Minhaj, and, and he did these jokes, it was really hilarious, and he did the majority of his jokes in Hindi. But the interesting thing is that um, there were present Indians of every ethnic, ethnic part of India. So you had Gujaratis, and you had uh, people from Tamil, and you had people um, from Hyderabad, and everyone had their own different dialect. And it was really intriguing that every now and then, Hassan would make a joke in Gujarati. And you would have a pocket of people in Belk Theater that would lose their minds laughing. The rest of us were like, I don't get Gujarati, what is that? <laughs> and then every now and then he would do a little line in Telugu and there'd be another pocket of people on the other side of Belk Theater. At which point I thought, how did I not get the invite? How, why am I up here in the balcony and all my Telugu people are over there? Did I do something to offend them? There's something special about when you hear a message and the familiarity of your own language. It's like being back home and you use the same language, the same words, you know, it's the difference between dinner and supper. It's the, it's the difference between dad and papa. There's an intimacy that comes with the familiarity of what you grew up with, of, of what you knew. And this right here is what caused the amazement for this people. They said each one heard them speaking in his own language. They're astounded. Look, aren't these Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language. And then verse 9 goes through all the nations, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, I can go on. Y'all, interesting fact about this, this is the exact copy and pasted list of Genesis 11, which is the Tower of Babel, which is what happened when the nations were divided and the languages first started. What's happening in Acts chapter 2 is not something brand new. It is a redemptive reversal of the punishment for humanity's sin all the way back in Genesis 11. God has always desired for the nations to be one family underneath the household of God. Remember what Naeem said last week about oikos, not the Greek yogurt, but the household? This is what's forming. The household is being reunited and what is the household made of the nations? Uh, four times in seven verses, the phrase, and we heard them in our own native tongue, shows up. And they were amazed. I want to pause here and just point out this one tiny detail. It would have been, I think, it's a good thing that Joel's not the Holy Spirit, right? Because I think about efficiency. And efficiency is... All these people from all these places, it's probably a lot of work for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's probably tired, right? Got a lot going on. Probably way easier just to translate everything into Greek because everybody knows Greek. Probably way easier to translate everything into Aramaic. They can figure it out. But think about the kindness of the Lord. That he would intentionally decide to choose that the very first time that these nations that are gathered under the heavens in this one place would hear the marvelous news of the Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection in what? Their own native tongues. So what we find here, right off the bat, 
is this distinctive of the church is that the church is made up of the beautiful array, the multiplicity of the peoples of the earth. It's a representation of every culture and every ethnicity, of, of every tribe and tongue. It, it's a beautiful glimpse of the future glory that is to be had when Jesus comes back. The actual building blocks of the church are the nations. This is what happens in Ephesians 2 as well. Here's the second distinction, and I think this distinction, the second one that we're going to talk about, is all the more marvelous because of this first one. Because I don't know about you, but y'all ever have guests come over and the guests don't know what they're supposed to be doing in your house? Like the rule is take your shoes off, but they come in like, yo, we got shoes on, we're keeping our shoes on. <laughs> You're like, you do not understand what it's like to go into an Indian's house. You take those shoes off at the front door. You see, instantly, when people from different backgrounds and, and, and different cultures and, and different experiences, I like my food spicy, I like my food bland, I like casseroles, I like biryani, like, like when those things happen, disunity happens, bickering takes place. It's a question, well, who wins and who loses? That's the binary of the human mind. But this is so incredible because the second distinction of the church is that the church is other-focused, not me-centered. The church is other-focused, not me-centered. Joel, prove it to me. Happy to. Turn a page in your Bibles. We're still in Acts chapter 2. We just talked about this miraculous reality of all these people coming together. The church has been formed. They're made up of the nations. By the way, the entire uh, Greco-Roman world is looking at this situation going, y'all are going wild. What is going on over here? Somebody makes sense of the fact that people that should hate each other are loving each other, and they have all things together. Like, like, like what could be the reason? I'm going to give away the punchline right off the bat. The reason is Jesus. And this is what Acts 2 verse 42 says. They devoted themselves. This is all those same people. They devoted themselves. I'm going to pause. I said I was going to do this to myself, but I am going to do it because I can't help myself. The word devoted here in the original language, it means to give oneself over to something. To give oneself over to something. When I uh, got married to my wife, I made a decision, we made a decision together that I'm going to give myself over to her and, and to my family and what's best for my family. When you decide to be a Chicago Bears fan, <laughs> no matter how hard it is for how many years, since 1985, we're devoted. You've given yourself over to something. You've made this commitment to someone. And this is what's happening here. They devoted themselves. And here are the four things that they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which just means the word of God. To fellowship, which means we're all about to hang together all the time together. To the breaking of bread, which means while we're hanging, we're going to do some eating. And here's one of the things that I think is sorely lost today, and to prayer. Why? Because prayer 
is the opportunity for you and I to commune with Jesus himself. And why would we want to all hang together and enjoy good food together and laugh and celebrate together and not invite and commune with and hang with the very one who made all of this possible? So the fourth thing is prayer. Over and over in the next couple verses, it says that the believers were together. They had all things, what, in common. They sold their possessions and and property. They gave to everybody as needed. They devoted themselves to meeting together, to being together. And all the while, they praised God. Um, This is sometimes a very difficult reality to live out in a world and a culture that demands that the only way to win in life is to think about me, myself, and I. It's hard when it seems like the corporate workforce says that another person's success is evidence of your failure. It's difficult at school when it feels like, gosh, only the best and the brightest are going to get the opportunities in life. It's a difficult reality to live out when it feels like there's a titanic wave that is demanding of you and I to forget them because it's all about me. And yet, how is it 2,000 years later, we're looking at ruins on a picture of the foundations of churches, and we're not talking about the churches, the, the physical building. We're talking about the people that have paved the road for you and I to be celebrating in the goodness of God today. It's because there was a, a dying to the self. It's because there was a, 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 a focus on the person of Jesus who saw it good to leave the perfection of heaven and to enter the chaos and corruption of humanity and earth to overcome sin and death by death itself. Why? So that he could bring all of us together. And our togetherness is for a purpose. You see, it's really hard to live out togetherness when our moments together are more focused on me. That ain't togetherness. So, so how? How do we live other-focused and not me-centered? Well, we devote ourselves to the Scriptures. We look through and see how God is working, not purely in individuals, but in people groups. We we devote ourselves to fellowship with each other. We're forced into the stories of our friends and our neighbors so that their plight and pain would become our plight and pain, so that their joys and victories, we would celebrate in those joys and victories, so that, so that all of the things that are experienced in community would be a beautiful thing that binds us together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is so practical, y'all. Eat together. When possible. Right? Like, if you have to eat together over Zoom, do it. A little odd, but I've done it before, and it's great. 
My cousins and I watched uh, an entire playoff football game, and we each ordered pizzas. My wife saw it. It was a real ridiculous situation. I ate a whole pizza by myself, also an issue of the scale <laughs> earlier this morning. It's amazing what happens when you just eat together. And here's what is pretty incredible. At the very end of Acts chapter 2, before we get into chapter 3, verse 47, it says, all the people were praising and enjoying God's favor. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and people were able to just wow other people. It doesn't say, and people went out and grabbed other people by the cloaks and said, you got to come in here. What it says is that because the people devoted themselves together over these four things, there was such a compelling witness to the world that the power and the authority of God himself drew the attention of the world onto the people because they were such a unique witness of something the world cannot offer. And this is such freedom for us today. That all we have to do is be obedient to the thing that God has called us to be, and we can trust that God is going to do the adding. God is going to do the calling. God is going to do the growing. It takes the weight of responsibility and the onus of that off of our shoulders. Here's the third distinctive. The church is an outpost of the real presence and power of the kingdom of earth today. The church is an outpost of the real presence and power of the kingdom of God on earth today. What does that mean? Uh, in the ancient world, an outpost was one of the most scary places to be assigned. It was, if you had a kingdom, at the very end of the kingdom, like right before enemy territory is there, the, the king would put the outpost right there. Why? So you can pay attention to what's happening over there. But it's also really dangerous, because if these dudes are about to invade you, you're the first one to go. <laughs> right? You just better hope that you can get a message back out. Like, there ain't no FaceTime. And yet, the picture that you and I have of what the church is, is a picture of an outpost. Some of you like adventure, and this is incredibly exciting to you. Some of y'all want nothing to do with adventure, and this is terrifying to you. But that's okay. Why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us through it. Uh, look at First um, Peter 2, 9 through 10. This is what Peter says. But, but you, he's talking about the church, but you are a chosen race. That means that it's not um, uh, arbitrary. It's not random. You have been picked and chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his, God's possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what's happening at this outpost the outpost isn't like, ooh, we're hiding and we're waiting and hopefully they never see us. No, this is such a unique and odd and just different type of outpost because at this outpost, the church is literally on the wall screaming and yelling, there is a better way. There is a better God than the God of your world. 
There is a better um, opportunity to find unity and peace and shalom that you've been longing for. His name is Jesus. And, and, and just take a look at what we're doing. We've got everything in common. We, we love each other. And, and look, this looks a little bit wild because we've got all the nations of, of the heavens under, like all gathered together. It looks like nothing else in the world. And the whole time we're over here, we're pleading. At the same time, we're praising God for his kindness. We're a witness to a world who is desperate for this truth. Now, here's the interesting thing. Every now and then, you can get glimpses of this truth in secular spaces. For instance, the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? Like, I never seen a halftime show that brought, like, all the, the generations together at the same time. Like, it's, it's intriguing. Because I'm trying to explain what's happening to my children. They have, like, I'm, I'm, we're connecting dots of generations. But here's the problem with something like the Super Bowl or sports or, or anything like that. It is like a rocket that shoots into the air that has a bright blast and then is gone in a second. And here's the worst part about it. For a moment, you see everything, but as soon as the darkness hit, it feels darker than before. Because now you have a glimpse of what it could be, but it can't be. This is the difference with the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. This is lasting. This is not just a glimpse, but a reality. This is what it means to be the church. And so here's, here's a, a thought. I want to be kind, and I want to say this with all humility. And I really do, I know that Pastor Naim and Pastor Kristen would agree with this. If we don't find the presence and the reality of these types of distinctives, it begs a difficult question. Are we still actually the church? You see what I'm saying? And here's what I'm worried about, y'all. I'm worried that we've chased after gimmicks We've chased after worldly thoughts and ideas that they might be good things, but they might not be God's thing for us. And here's what I just have the strong conviction, the strong belief. If we do these three things, if, if we focus on the people, not just necessarily the place, but the place has importance. If, if we look at the reality that, that we have to live this life that is um, not me-centered, but other-focused. If, if we live the reality of an outpost, I think all of those things start to come into play together. And I want to just say thank you to Mosaic because here's the, the, like, it's almost like, like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Because I see here every nation under heaven. Because I see here people that, that love each other, that, that aren't, aren't me focused, but are others centered. I see the way that y'all are engaging with the community and, and being a bright light and a witness of something so good that the world longs for. And let this just be not like, like you better like get these three distinctives. Let me just say, this is more like y'all keep going in the three things. Y'all keep running hard after this and know that, that we're running with you. 
And so important that, that the church universal sees the reality of this, that this is possible. Because again, I get the opportunity to travel to a lot of different places and to speak at different contexts and different situations. And I just need you all to know, this is not the norm. I just, I, I got to be honest. This is not the norm. So I don't want you to take it for granted. I don't want you to, to miss what is so incredible here. But also, don't want you to get complacent. I also don't want you to just sit and think, well, we got it. Now, there's so much more. And I'm excited for what that is in the life of Mosaic. We're going to move into a time of, of reflection. And as we move into this time of reflection, there might be some things in your heart that the Lord has kind of been like, yeah, we might have to do a little bit of work here. There's always opportunity for growth. And so, and so as we reflect, there'll be a, a place, the, the cross, where you can pray. There'll be the place where you can take communion and remember the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you can go to any of those stations and, and you can work through those things. But I just want to remind you of this one last distinctive. I know I said three, but I lied. Here's the fourth one. And the fourth one isn't on a slide. No, the fourth one has to live inside of your heart. What is the distinctive about the church? The church is shaped and formed and moves out of the reality of the Son of God, Jesus himself. So if you ever feel lost, if you ever like, oh, I don't know where to go, it's actually quite simple. Just look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that what we find in Acts chapter 2 is not a one and done. It is your will for what is to ongo, to, to continue. Thank you that Mosaic is a visual representation of that possibility today here on earth. Lord, we pray that you would protect us, that you would guide us, that, that you would equip us to live the reality of what the church is. We trust you and we love you. Amen.